Welcome to another episode of Thick and Thin, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nitin. What's good, Nitin? What's up, man? Uh, Happy New Year, first and foremost, uh, to you and your family. Hope you had an awesome holiday, a little bit of a relaxing break, and enjoyed the first five days of 2021, because by day six, we were back in the hellscape known as 2020. We couldn't even last a week, man. Um, And if anyone's wondering what we're talking about, hopefully you aren't wondering, but uh, yesterday was a crazy day with, um, it started with first Trump giving a speech, kind of uh, having a rally uh, outside the Capitol building. And it ended up with his supporters uh, climbing up the stairs into the building um, and essentially forcing the House of Representatives and Senate to evacuate. um, And they held their place there for a while. It took a while before uh, they were able to get the National Guard in. It took a while before they were able to get police and enough, enough of the folks to go and help escort all these supporters out. Um, and it left everyone with a really bad taste in their mouth because of not only the fact that this was able to even happen, but then the response from the police, the response from Trump, which was non-existent or extremely passive, uh, to say the least, um, and left our country in a very weird spot where we're reflecting on how did it come to this? Um, shouldn't we have seen this coming? Uh, and should we even be surprised that we've we've ended up at where we're at? And thankfully, everything resolved itself uh, eventually. Um, they secured the building. They were able to certify the election results. Uh, and then Trump today finally conceded. So it, it seems yeah. like we are now headed on a better path. But I don't know, man. What were I guess what were your thoughts going on um, yesterday? What was going on through your head as as all this transpired? Yeah, I think the number one thing I was thinking about is a is a term a friend of mine used when we were talking about this. It was just uh, willful ignorance, right? We always said to ourselves that as bad as we think this is, it's not going to go there. And we open-ended definition of what there meant, but it was kind of one of those things where you never think you should hit rock bottom because you can always go lower. And I think there have been a lot of instances over the last four years that we feel has been rock bottom and it keeps getting superseded. And even now I'm saying this and I'm telling you, it's I'm having a hard time finding what could be lower than what yesterday was. Um, and, you know, I think it I was kind of thinking more broadly about, OK, yes, this is the action. This is the result. This is the consequence of, you know, all of the enablement. But more importantly, if you think back, if you take a step back and think back, think to what they are upset about, it is pure conjecture. It's pure conspiracy. It's pure, it's pure make your own facts as you go along. And it's pushed us into an extremely dangerous point of our society where you just make up what you want to hear. And as long as it's convincing, you can convince others. And once you've gotten quorum, you can do anything and you can believe anything and you can say anything. And the way social media has spread that word uh, makes it almost impossible to contain. Mm. We no longer have any sense of like, here's the truth that we all agree to. It's really, um, here's the truth based on what your opinion is. And I can't stress enough how dangerous this is moving forward. I think the interesting thing, too, is that yesterday was the first time we've actually directly confronted it in the sense that these conspiracy theories 
Um, obviously, they exist in the kind of far right social media, right? Um, echo chambers, right? Because we live in our own echo chamber. We know that this is all nonsense. Um, but this is uh, something that's being propagated throughout his base. It's something that at every rally is being kind of championed as the message. And we're still somewhat removed from it. Like those are all gatherings of his his base message that's proliferating through um, his people. But this is the first time where now it's come clashing with everything that we hold kind of sacred and true to, yeah. to what we believe about this country. And it's directly bringing you know, that into conflict. And, and so that's when it became more real than ever that, okay, there are people who not only believe this, but are willing to take drastic action out of this. Yeah. Like this insane belief uh, in these conspiracy theories. And, um, and there's no way around it by saying that, you know, this is directly a Trump's fault. And I see a lot of folks on, if you go to the um, you know conservative kind of forums and, and subreddits, and there's a lot of talk about this was not Trump's fault. This is, you know, just a small group of really angry people. Maybe some are Antifa. Um, but I, I, you can't look at this and not find fault at, we should have seen this coming. This has been bubbling for years and years and years. And now this election, uh, it, it finally came to a, to a head. So, yeah, I had another friend who brought up a really good point. And like, this was, as I'm sure was the same with you. And as obviously you and I were talking about it all day yesterday too, that this was the topic of conversation and basically every thread that was going on on my phone, yep. right. With my parents, my friends, my wife, everything. And the thing that one of my buddies said, which I thought also rung true, is maybe Trump wasn't the cause of all of this, but he certainly wasn't the symptom of all of it either. He was more the catalyst, right? He didn't invent racism. He didn't invent people being obsessed with the Confederate flag. He didn't invent the idea that, you know, there's a certain white nationalism brewing in the country. But what he did is he gave credence to it. He empowered it. He enabled it. And I think that's always been the thing with me. We're just like, okay, look, the reason why it's so dangerous is because suddenly it's given credibility at the stage of the president of the United States, right? Like this isn't some random congressman from some backwoods you know, district. You know, this isn't um, some chat board, message board, whatever, that gains a little bit of notoriety or steam. This is literally the seat of the U.S. government. And, you know, I think... You know, you mentioned like message boards talking about Antifa. Shit, Matt Gates was sitting there on Congress's floor talking about how this was Antifa. And this is another one of those instances, very similar to how that there's all this election fraud going around, like, you know, people pushing that narrative. You can't prove something that is not true. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, and when you get to that point, you literally cannot convince someone to believe something when the opposite is infinity in a way, right? How could you convince someone if they believe that half those people were Antifa or all those people were Antifa? You and I don't know who exactly was there. Yeah. Um, you know, people can doctor whatever images they want. People can produce whatever one-off evidence they want. It's the exact same thing with the election. Yes. Was there possibly any votes that were fraudulent in the election? Probably. 160 million people voted, right? So probably yes. Mm-hmm. Does that mean that there's this widespread conspiracy by the minority political party across states that are all over the nation, many of which were under Republican rule? No, that's probably not the case. Like, But you cannot convince someone who is actually asking you to prove the unprovable. And I don't know how to solve this situation, but I was kind of thinking about this uh, yesterday, you know, along with everything else. And I was just like, 
Matt Gates or whoever says that those are Antifa people. And now suddenly they've, they've denied all culpability. Oh, this Maybe. isn't us. This isn't, you know, the MAGA crew. This isn't the Trump supporters. This is, this is someone else. It's all a setup. Well, is there a way for you to say that it's not a setup? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, what are you going to say? Yeah. I mean, they were literally saying that, look, even the person with the Trump flag draped around their uh, shoulder with the Trump hat, it's all planted. It's all, they're all, you know, acting as Trump supporters. It's like, there's nothing you can do to convince these people. Yeah, um, I saw I saw some email screenshot typed in fucking Comic Sans, like Dan Gilbert's <laughs> note to LeBron years ago about how it was from Antifa being like, dress up as Trump supporters, make sure you make make it very convincing so people think it's them. And it's like, yeah. this is the proof. And that's like, dear God. <laughs> yeah. And, and then, you know, but the worst part, I think, about all of yesterday was the false equivalence that happens with, um, oh, you know, and the what about us? It's like, well... These people were allowed to protest for Black Lives Matter. We're doing the same, right? Why um, aren't we afforded? You know, we've been served this injustice. We've, you know, been treated poorly. Why can't we express ourselves in the same way? And I think that's the, the saddest part about all of this. And, you know, we saw a lot of commentary and all of us had the same thoughts of we know if that was a minority, if that was a black crowd that went up the Capitol steps, they would not have been allowed to easily out of the building. Say the least. Say the least, right? There and we've we've seen what happened um over the summer. We've seen over fourteen thousand people get arrested in those protests, whereas you know less than a hundred got arrested from this entire group of people who literally went into the Capitol building, were chipping off pieces of, you know, signs, were putting their feet on the desk of uh representatives, you know, in Nancy Pelosi's office with just no regard of anything. And I think that's the saddest part. And a lot of athletes, you know, tying this back to the sports world, we saw a lot of athletes speak out again. We saw a lot of kind of, at least they acknowledge it in, in the beginning of a lot of these games. So they all took a, a kneel. And it just makes me sad, man, that it, that, you know, what they have to go through what, and to see this white privilege kind of manifested in such a way where you can go into the U S government and do whatever you want. It's, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's it's actually beyond words. Um, and you talk about the protests. Look, I don't think any of us condone like just the opportunism of the looting and things like that. But let's be clear: as wrong and as illegal as that is, breaking into a store is not the equivalent of breaking into the U.S. Capitol building. Um, I'm sorry, it's just not like, especially during a sitting congressional session when they're trying to certify the results of one of the most important elections in history or whatever, any election, but this was the presidential election. So, so I just think that the, the scenarios were totally different, not to mention that whatever you want to say about how the mayors of those cities and others reacted to the rights of the protesters. And I think they were very good about, look, this is their right to protest for the ones who did cross the line, like you said, there was retribution, right? There was a number of arrests. There's thousands of arrests of people all across the country. And in this case, there was a, a lot of goading by leaders. And this is the big difference that seems to be, um, you know, seems to be ignored. Like during the summer, I don't remember Joe Biden and Kamala Harris talking about how they want stores looted or they want that aggression. In fact, they were very strongly opposed to it, right? They talked about how you know, we need to peacefully protest, we need to fight for what's right, but we should also do so within the constraints. Here you have guys like Josh Hawley, guys like Ted Cruz, um, who are openly 
sort of egging on the supporters, right? There's that picture that I think is going to almost be emblazoned in a lot of our minds of Josh Hawley kind of like saluting yep. the protesters before they're about to get going. And even, you know, you mentioned Trump's rally. Why the fuck are we still holding rallies on January 6th, right? You're asking the the unattainable, the illegal, and not to mention tr- that these guys are so like beholden to Trump's words that they were trying to go after Mike Pence. That was a big reason that they even broke into the Capitol in the first place to to try to get to Pence, who had to be evacuated out of there, right? So the guy who's been the right-hand man of the president, who's been in his corner every step of the way, does something that's within his constitutional obligation and responsibility, and they want blood. And it's just, it's sickening because as much as I disagree with Pence on almost everything, in this moment at least, he's like, all I'm trying to do is follow the letter of the law, which is stated as such. And even that is considered um, an act against the president. And I think that's what's really troubling. And it's like, you know, it's scary when you can really direct people in this manner. Um, You know, you can actually insinuate that the right thing to do is to storm the U.S. Capitol building. And every one of those people was like, this is a good idea. And that blows my mind. And you don't have to explicitly say it either. You just need to bring them to that point. And it's it's incredible, man. It's um it, we're gonna look back at this time period of history and I don't know I don't know what the next several years are gonna unfold like. At least we know we have grown ups in the White House, um, you know, and we can at least rely on some more stability in our leadership, more predictability, yeah. whether um, you know, you believe that's a good thing or not, like at least there's that without the tumultuous kind of Reign that t- Trump has had, and these last couple of days, where you know, even it, it's funny, even the top Republicans, people who are in his camp, finally had to break, um, and they had no other choice. Ultimately, it's it's come to a point where they've had to, but uh, it's it's all finally coming down on him. And I think I don't know. We still got how many more days? Thirteen. Thirteen, almost. 13 I guess days? twelve now, maybe. You know, yeah, the other so thing we, I'd we don't know what will happen in the next two weeks. But. The other thing I'd quickly say is like I've never seen this much dissonance between the rich and wealthy and everyone else as I do right now in the sense of like we're comfortable, we're chilling, like our stock market positions look <laughs> fucking awesome. And meanwhile, this is happening on the streets and I'm like, I can't make heads or tails of what is going on, right? Yeah. I can no longer explain things that I thought I at least could somewhat rationalize, uh, you know, and and I just think that like, you know, to your point, grownups in the room, whether that has to do with something as like operational as like vaccine distribution and getting this thing yeah. under control or even like, hey, I'm not going to antagonize every single person ha- every time I speak. Right. Mm-hmm. Just those two things, I think, could be such big victories. And, you know, look, there's a lot of reasons to to lean one way politically or not, but you have to be able to pick yourself up from that and say, what are we doing here if me having a favorable tax position is worth this? Mm-hmm. And also to understand that this is a result of the person you put in office and the administration you gave this power to. Like, you cannot unlink those things. I'm sorry. Like, this isn't a left versus right thing, but it's also kind of is, right? Like, this is the bed that they made and this is the bed you got to sleep in. And like, you have to own that. And like, I see Lindsey Graham and, you know, a couple other guys doing a little bit of a walk back yesterday. And I was like, you don't get to claim like 
credit and righteousness today after what you've done and what you've put in motion for four and a half years. Like it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And, and it's easy. It's easy to do that today. It's easy to do that because now it's the obvious choice. Uh, but these last couple of years, it, you know, they couldn't bring themselves to do it. So um, I don't know, man, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens from here on out. I, I think it was a sad day for sure. Um, I'm, I'm really glad. So kind of going back to the sports angle, uh, I, I saw a lot of athletes speak out. I saw even the, you know, the regulars Popovich, Steve Kerr speak out as well. Um, and really from a, a standpoint of not, not out of anger, right. Not out of anger, but just out of profound sadness that th- this could, this could happen after all we've seen in the summer, after all they've had to go through, that something like this is allowed to happen. So and what are your thoughts on the athlete reactions um, on some of the gestures the NBA took and other sports took yesterday? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I thought, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm of of a lot of frustration, I think, from the athletes. Like, this was the tipping point. But really, the other day when the, the officer who had killed Jacob Blake got exonerated, they weren't going to press charges, I thought that was it almost fell by the wayside in a sense, given that this news took everything over. But that was the entirety of the the protest from the summer or the walkout from the summer. So, you know, it's one of those things that's quite frustrating because I think as an athlete, and we talked about this, even a guy like LeBron, you're all powerful and powerless at the same time. And it's probably a very weird feeling to control every aspect of your life. But then when you do take a stand to speak out or do, you know, like a lot of these guys can make great change in their communities with their charities and they do so. Right. But this is something that's larger than them and it's larger than all of us. And I think it must be very hard to see like, look, we did all this. We spoke about all of this. We got all of this like publicity on this topic. You know, that was the whole point of the bubble. Everybody gave us a lot of credit and, you know, deservedly so they put in the work and they, they, they did all of that type of, you know, action. And then something like this happened and it doesn't erase all of their work, but it does show them just how much further we have to go. And I, and I got to think it's hurtful, right? It's painful to go through that, like, and and say, look, no matter what you do, it's still going to be status quo in a lot of ways. Um, You know, when Breonna Taylor's um, killers were, were basically not charged. And in this situation, the same thing with Jacob Blake, and it's going to be more of the same, right? This is the this is the playbook we've seen uh, occur in, in too many instances. And, you know, I don't know if they ever thought, I know the Celtics and the Heat were having some conversations about whether they wanted to kind of boycott the other night. Ended up not happening. Um, maybe there's other ways that they're going to try to f- fight this. But, you know, what I would say, um, if they were listening, is to feel very encouraged by all that they've done. Um, You saw everything that happened in Georgia um, this year in terms of the election cycle, uh, in terms of like the the record voter registration. That's not by accident. Um, And I think you saw that around the country and it's it's not by accident. And like it's baby steps and and every win that you get doesn't necessarily come without a loss. And you just got to figure out how to keep fighting despite being, you know, not being undefeated. And, I think it's frustrating. I think it's saddening. I think it's all of the above. And and hopefully they, they do get a chance to see how much progress they help create as well. And it's sad that that got overshadowed, the Georgia runoffs, um, because that happened shortly before when it was confirmed, right, that Warnock and Ossoff had, fin- had actually won. 
no one had really expected that. No one expected Georgia to go blue. And so you're right. Like this is showing that the tide is turning. Momentum is is, is shifting. And it's going to be a long time before we can get to a place where, uh, you know, things feel right. But uh, we are on the right path, hopefully. And, and hopefully with new leadership, we can stay on that path uh, and continue to move forward towards that. So um, anyways, we got a lot of football and basketball to get to given it's wildcard weekend. So we're going to take a short break and we'll be back after. All right. So we all know this is a basketball podcast, but we would be remiss if we did not kick off our sports coverage on this episode with a very special wildcard weekend preview. The fate, the stars, the gods have all spoken and it is the Washington football team matching up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. My team versus your team this weekend, Saturday night in primetime, Tom Brady versus Chase Young for all the marbles of getting your ass kicked in Lambeau Field next week. Um, I couldn't be more excited about this. I cannot even believe that you know we ended up becoming a playoff team. I think Tampa was always considered to be, but that being said, both of these teams have some very, very poor recent history of success. Um, so despite, you know, the, the Bucks signing Brady and all of those other weapons, this is new territory for a lot of you guys over the last 15 years or so in terms of actually being a favorite in a playoff game. And for us, you know, we've won a couple division titles and usually petered out in the playoffs. So we're playing with house money a little bit, but I know that, you know, no team in the NFC East has repeated in the last like 16 years. So we know that we're not going to be back after this season. So what are your thoughts? What shot do you give my measly, you know, very hurt, broken down, kind of underdog Washington football team versus the mighty Tampa Bay Buccaneers? The mighty Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It still sounds weird to me, but I love it. I love it, man. I'm so hyped for this game. You mentioned our, our uh, histories, the Redskins, or not the Redskins, the Washington football team and the Bucks. Uh, you know, recent history. The last time the Washington football team won a playoff game was in 2005 against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, the Bucks were also 11 and five, uh, the better team record-wise, and the Washington football team pulled off an upset. The last time we won a playoff game, we as in Tampa Bay, was 2002. Uh, I don't know if you remember that game, but it was actually the Super Bowl, which oh, was spanked the Raiders. Never heard of it. Uh, so it's been a long time since we both won playoff games. It's been. Uh, 13 years since we made the playoffs. So Bucks fans are excited. We are a little anxious. And I think you ask what chance do we give the football team this week? I actually think they've got a solid chance. Um, and look, everyone's going to talk about Brady and pressure and Brady and pressure. And the problem isn't just, it, it's very kind of, re, uh, it's a reductionist argument to just say when Brady faces pressure, the Bucks lose uh, or Brady loses. I think the challenge though they face with this team is the Washington football team is pretty good at generating pressure all across the line, um, interior and on the edge, obviously with Chase Young, Montez Sweat, and Brady also has not been good at night games this season. And and you know you might say that's just whatever that that stat doesn't matter, but if you not if you don't know his bedtime is actually nine p.m. He sleeps at eight thirty or nine every day. So I think there is some credence to the theory that the nighttime games, the schedule. It's a little bit different for him. 
And I'm just wary of teams in the playoffs with a good defensive line. We've seen this time and time again. You keep a game low scoring and you give yourself a shot to win. I think this game will will be a low scoring game and it's going to be a dogfight. And as long as the Washington football team can keep themselves in it, they've got a shot. I don't know how they're going to generate offense, but you know, you get a turnover here and there, you keep some good field position, you can find a way to win the game. So I like the Bucs. I'm not super confident this is going to be a blowout. Um, I think it's going to be a good game. Yeah, so you brought up a couple – you know, fuck all that analysis for saying I'm going to get to it, but let me tell you the most important piece of analysis. The jerseys were announced today, and the Bucks yep. are wearing their red with pewter pants. I was, I was hyped about that. And Washington's wearing all white. Let me remind you – what year did you say we played? 2007? 2005. 2005. Do you want to know what the jersey combinations were in yeah, that game? It was, it was red and white versus white. Bucks that's are red. All, that's all I Washington. need to know. Slam the Washington football team line. No, I think, look, the pressure thing is a fair point to focus on because Brady looks like Brady when he's got time to throw. And he was doing a little bit of stat padding those last couple of weeks. So, you know, they played the Lions and I think they played the Falcons and – he looked phenomenal against both. Antonio yeah. Brown looked like Steelers Antonio Brown last week. And like Mike Evans is what? Is he questionable? What's what is he leaning towards? Game time decision. But Mike Evans is a warrior. He's gonna play. He's gonna play. He's not gonna miss his first ever playoff game, also. I think. Nope. Uh the problem is you don't have Devin White. Is that correct? He's not gonna be Yeah, he's he's out because of uh COVID. He's only eligible to return on Sunday and the game's on Saturday. Right. So we'll see if that ends up mattering. I think I think focusing on offense for a second, on the Bucks' offense, they have a lot of weapons, but since Ronald Jones ended up going down with COVID and then he came back, I think he hasn't looked this, quite the same. And Fournette is a good like chain mover, but he's not necessarily the breakout guy. I mean, he hasn't really been that guy in the NFL at all. So I think they're going to throw a lot, which means there's a lot of pressure opportunities. But Washington's defense – while it is really good, it's actually a little bit overrated in that they're never in shootouts because their offense is trash. And so the low scoring ends up being almost a result more of teams that are playing ball control uh, because they know they don't have they have to get to 25 and that's a win or they have to get to 21 and that's a win. And so I think that might factor into the Bucks' plan um this week as well that being said Bruce Arians is a pretty aggressive coach so I think that he's going to kind of still take his shots downfield now the question is can Chase Young Montez Sweat John Allen all those guys get home before Brady's finding like his plethora of weapons and that's where I worry because Godwin and Brown are kings underneath right that's Mm -hmm. that's where they made their money Brown can obviously take off take the top off as well you still have Gronk running the seams you still have uh, Mike Evans, if he plays, is kind of like that deep threat. It's a lot of weapons to contain. Um, Brady's not good at night anymore. He's a little old. Bone's getting creaky. We saw him lose last year on Saturday night, right, uh, mm-hmm. versus the Titans. Um, and then the other thing I'd say is the last three times he's played NFC East teams, he's taken home big fat L's in the Super Bowl. And now, while this defensive line is not the Giants of 07 or 11, right, those teams were a little bit more talented. They do, they do represent something similar in that they can get pressure with just the front four. So you can really drop six or seven back in coverage. Um, the biggest issue I see, though, even if you hold them to 24 points, can Alex Smith on one leg or Taylor Heineke get to 24? I, I don't know. Um, that feels different. I, I, 
No, it's it's gonna if they're gonna win, the Bucks can't score even twenty. It's got to be. I'm when I talk about low scoring game, like you have to think about a game like uh, remember Seattle New York earlier this season where it was like seventeen five, the Giants won, right? Just a, a Seattle high powered offense. I know they sputtered towards the end of the season, but yeah. You got to just take them out of their element and make it a dogfight. So I don't think Washington will win if Tampa scores over twenty. I don't. Now, because um, they're not going to get to twenty. The the point about our our offense, you know, when we played some of these good defensive lines earlier in the season, the Saints, the Bears, the Rams, that gave Brady trouble. Our offense looked very different. Um, we weren't running a lot of the same kind of short routes. Right now, we're running more drags. Um, Brady's audibling more. He's given more kind of um, control over the scheme. So he's seeing things in the protection. And he's he's audible, and he's he's going to things that are quicker, get the ball out faster instead of these longer developing routes. So we've we've got to fix some of those issues. Um, I know the Washington football team. One of their weaknesses, I think, is uh, running backs in the flat, catching a pass, uh, and kind of you know taking it five six yards. The problem is our running backs aren't great receivers. So that's one thing Brady's always relied on with the Patriots, with the James White. Um, you know, with those backs, we can easily dump it off when the pressure's kind of closing in that's one area i'm kind of worried about because our backs are not good at catching so no. it's going to be a lot of relying reliance on the wide receivers um you know with their short shallow routes and hoping that they can uh, brady can get it out to them quick enough and then uh, one, the one thing i do want to say though about brady stat padding because i hear this narrative everywhere he's played you know four crappy teams to end the season whatever and he's run up his numbers no one says that about Mahomes no one says about Aaron Rodgers as he throws one yard touchdown passes every game like none of these these guys are all stat padding and running up their stats I don't know why it's only a narrative with Tom Brady because Mahomes hasn't really done that other than the Jets game what other game is he run? this is separately that Casey hasn't looked phenomenal but they've been in they I think they won an NFL record like seven straight games within six points or less or something like that and you talk oh, but how about the year before? I'm not talking about Mahomes necessarily this year, but just in general, like that narrative comes up, never comes up with these guys. It's less about is it wrong to stat pad? It's more about should we evaluate Brady based on the games against the Rams, the Bears, the Packers, the Saints, or do it based on his recent weeks? I think that's the bigger question. I don't care that he finished with you know 4,600 yards, 40 TDs. I mean, frankly, at his age, that is fucking ridiculous that he was able to do that. All I meant is, is he the player that could throw 450 yards and four scores against the Lions or whatever he came up with? Or is he the guy that looks like, you know, he sees ghosts against like the Giants where he actually didn't look that good, right? He made a couple big throws to Gronk in that game or even the Bears game where, you know, they had a very clear chance to win it. And that was the Nick Foles Bears looking like they were running in place before David Montgomery went nuts. And that was another game where I was like, this doesn't feel like Tom Brady. That's all I meant. Whether he gets to 40 TDs through this mechanism, that mechanism, doesn't really matter because you have to throw all of that out. But I do think Washington resembles a team more similar to, even though their defense is much better than the Falcons and the, and the Lions and, and some of those squads, I think it resembles a team with the limited um, ability to hurt you or penalize you on your mistakes. Like if – if Tampa Bay had like two or three three and outs early against the Saints or against the Packers or whoever, that could be 14 points. That could be 17 mm-hmm. points. That's not going to be the case with Washington, most likely. Um, they're not going to hurt you for the turnovers. I mean, dude, you saw the fucking the Eagles game where Nate Sudfeld was, <laughs> was 
was literally trying to to give us the ball and we would take it and then the the offense would just sputter out. I think yep. that could be the case. So how that affects Arian's play calling, I will be interested. Maybe he's more aggressive knowing that his defense is is not going to have a ton of trouble. You know, and then to that point, Devin White being out actually hurts them here. He's one of the fastest side-to-side linebackers in the league. Mm-hmm. With Alex Smith playing on one leg, he's checked down machine right now. And so it's a ton of J.D. McKissick. It's a ton of Antonio Gibson. It's a ton of these like small, shallow crosses, of which a speedy linebacker is the number one antidote, right? Because you can mm-hmm. still keep your safeties and corners over the top, and you can keep your linebackers, him and uh, uh, Levante David, underneath. But without him, I wonder if a guy like McKissick can break loose more often. Um, and then there's going to give some trouble in that second level. That would be where I would think White's absence hurts the most. Absolutely. I mean, White White is a great run defender, great at uh, bringing that interior pressure, and he's gone. And we're missing – we already lost Vita Vey for the season. We're missing his backup, Steve McClendon, um, who's out with COVID, and we're missing another backup of his. So we're a little soft on the interior, right? We, we're solid at the edge with Shaq and, and JPP. Um, and you know the the dirty secret about the Bucks is our biggest weakness offensively is a quarterback like Alex Smith. Now, not Alex Smith that no defense ever. <laughs> not Alex Smith who's hobbled on one leg, but a guy who gets the ball out quick uh, and is decisive and is just is not waiting for routes to develop because that is the guy that we get chewed up by. If you look at how Teddy Bridgewater played against us this year, um, Drew Brees, Drew Brees, even Kirk Cousins, right? Bridgewater, Kirk Cousins, they turned it over a couple times. But without the turnovers, they were getting chunks and chunks of, you know, five-yard, six-yard pass, five yards, moving down the field. Like, you know, Bridgewater and Cousins both had a completion percentage of, like, you know, they were like eight for eight, nine for nine, until they first had their first incomplete pass. That's the kind of quarterback we struggle with. Todd Bowles likes to play a soft zone to start the game. Uh, And Alex Smith can kind of – it sounds ridiculous, but he can kind of dink and dunk his way down the field. Where we have the benefit is that he can't deal with a semblance of pressure because um, his mobility is completely shot. So I think yeah. that you know the offensive line is going to have to hold up for you guys. But um, I wouldn't sleep on him being pretty solid this game because that's our weakness. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and the Vikings game really, they – the Vikings had a very good chance to win if Dan Bailey left like 10 points on yeah. the field on his own. Um, I think the key is going to have to be getting in his third and shorts, right? If you're asking Alex Smith to complete third and eights, third and nines, it's just not going to happen. Like, But he's trying to get his the ball out of his hand in under two seconds, really under one and a half seconds in some instances. So he's looking for Logan Thomas out of the break, your favorite player. He's looking for Terry McLaurin on small, like short curls, things like that. If you're if you're trying to have him make plays down the field, it's not going to fly. So, what can the offensive line do against the Bucks D line? Who, you know, they they have a D line that's actually more focused. It feels like, and correct me if I'm wrong, on rushing the passer with JPP, with Shaq Barrett, with some of those guys. Like they're more geared towards playing the pass. Um, I'm looking at even like DVOA, right? Like in DVOA though, they were. Third, fifth in the league uh, on defense. It doesn't split it up by rushing pass what I'm looking at, but it does feel like there's an opportunity to run the ball a little bit. Like I know Dalvin Cook had a bunch of success and they got, you know, in the Falcons game, um, it ended up being like a lot of throwing. So it was hard to actually tell, but 
And same with Detroit, they got down big, but it does feel like if you can run the ball effectively on first down, second down, and try to get into third and shorts, then Alex Smith can do damage. And then he could start hitting the play action seams or whatever, like, you know, on later on those drives. That would be what I would try to see if Gibson can find the holes. Yeah. And um, our, look, we still ended up as a number one rush defense, so we're no slouch. But like to your point, towards the end of the season, we did get a little bit softer with the, the Vikings. Also, the Falcons, they were able to break off some chunk runs against us, which typically yeah. doesn't happen, especially now with Devin White gone. That's going to be a huge hole. Um, well, if you guys but, were first in rush defense, I can just go fuck myself, I guess. No, no, no. But, I mean, like, it, it, it's still a valid point. Um, but, you know what? Ultimately, this game is – the reason I'm worried is because the Bucks lost to Chicago. Now, we look like a completely different team, so I don't want to – I think if we played Chicago again today, we we'd beat them for sure. Um, but think about Chicago. Um, solid defense could get pressure um, from the edge, right, with Khalil Mack, and also Foles, who's you know not, I mean Foles, Alex Smith, they're all cut from the same cloth. They're not amazing. They're not going to win you games on their own. You have to hope they don't lose it. And they had enough playmakers, right, for the for the Bears. That was. Um, Allen Robinson making the play here and there. Um, Montgomery wasn't as good back then, but he's still talented. And with Washington, you have a very similar team now that I think of it. Yeah, you have playmakers. You have Logan Thomas. You have Terry McLaurin. You have guys who just who just need to break one or two plays. Yeah. Um, to make this, you know, you score. If Washington scores 17-20, they're in this. They're in this because I don't think yeah. the Bucks are going to score more than twenty-four. So I don't think seventeen is going to be enough. I just I can't imagine like. No, but you're in the game. It's a one-possession game, potentially. It's going to have to be a similar playbook to what the Titans did last year to the Patriots. I think they won 14-13. Tannehill threw for like 85 yards. Uh, Derrick Henry ran the ball like 25 or 30 times. They don't have a workhorse like Derrick Henry. I mean, he's... Yeah, you're not going to run on like that, though. So, yeah, but I'm trying to figure out like... Okay, yes, you could you could sort of hope for a defensive or special teams touchdown, but it's hard to really count on that. Um, I, I struggle to see a way that Washington scores 17 or, or sorry, 21 or more, which is what I think they need to get to. But, you know, if it's a like I think the um, the Bears Tampa game was like 20 to 19 or something. That's essentially what yeah. it has to be. And. Can it be that? Yeah, I mean, it's a night game. It's going to be in the cold. Brady is a little bit older. He's apparently sleeps at eight thirty, so I don't know how that's going to be managed. Um, yeah. He's going to have to like figure out a new nap schedule. But dude, I'm just so pumped. Like, okay, you guys are actually good. We're seven and nine. We play in the East, so a little bit of a asterisk. But it's actually kind of funny because the last time we played was uh, the Kirk Cousins. You uh, you like this game? Mm-hmm. When our, you know, Washington at that time, they're the Redskins. The franchise was about as pathetic as could ever be. You were trying to trash talk and get hyped. And you were like, yo, <laughs> let's watch this together. Let's do this. Let's, let's talk yep. shit. And I was just like, I don't even care. Like, I'm going to watch Red Zone. And then yeah. the worst thing is we ended up winning. <laughs> and so then I was like, oh, yeah, go, go Redskins. But now there's a little bit more chips on the table. It matters a little bit, just a little bit more. So I'm excited to see what happens. And I also think. If we can send Brady home, I would fucking love it. Wait, let me let me tell the listeners exactly what happened that day. Because I remember you came over to watch the game. I was hyped, right? Bucks, Redskins, our favorite teams are playing. 
you came in wearing your Redskins jersey and you could not care less about the game. You're like, yeah, whatever, man. You had your laptop open, looking at fantasy, watching other games while our game was going on, especially when you went down 24-0, you had totally tuned out. The moment the comeback, not even like <laughs> once you guys got within a score, all of a sudden the laptop's down, you're up, you're saying, let's go, DC. You know, this, you're, I forgot DC what you were saying. Nothing, you're baby. DC or nothing, your, your catchphrase. And, and I was so upset. I was like, now you care. Um, the thing is, the thing is, like, as you know, I'm a very hot and cold fan, and I'm <laughs> able to turn it on with the best of them. And, and the other thing is, like, I just hated – this is actually very similar to a point I'm going to bring up later on as we talk about the Wizards. But I was – I get very attached to players, right? And RG3 was my guy, and I was so upset with how they did him dirty. And later I reconciled with the fact that a lot of it was also his fault, and he was just – you know, he had his own set of issues, not to mention the injuries – but I just hated Kirk Cousins and what he represented, which was a robbed chance from RG3. And so the entire Kirk Cousins era, I just almost rooted against him because I was like, this guy's not going to win you a game that matters. He actually got us to one playoffs uh, mm. and we played Aaron Rodgers. And you can pretty much guess how that went. And then he had another instance of trying to get us to the playoffs. And it was week 17. He was playing the Giants backups. All he had to do was win and we were in. And he throws like three picks. And I was just like, I don't, I mean, he's doing something very similar in Minnesota, right? Where the numbers look awesome. And he's like, oh, wow, 38 touchdowns, 12 picks. Like, that's pretty damn good. Like, what's all the hate for? And it's like, anytime you need him to make a throw, he's nowhere to be found. I just like, I just like really disliked Kirk Cousins in that era. And like, I hated Jay Gruden. And I just didn't understand why we didn't have any good players. And at least now, Rivera's brought a sense of, and I don't think Rivera is a phenomenal coach, right? Like he's not Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan out here, but I think the, the, just the leveling up from the shit show that we were uh, for basically the entirety of the two thousands and even into the nineties to just being a professional team uh, that actually plays well, which is, you know, almost why it was so hard to believe Haskins even made it this long on the roster. Um, has been a revelation. And now you actually have a guy like a Chase Young who's a blue chipper, probably our best player since since Sean Taylor, maybe Trent Williams. And it's a different era. Now I'm all in again. Well, I'd have sympathy for you if, you know, I wasn't a Bucks fan myself and going through some of the same trials and tribulations that you're talking about. Like, you think I haven't had to deal with just an inept franchise uh, for years and years and Josh Freeman and Jameis Winston. I mean, look. I, I get it. All I'm saying is that earlier this season, I bet you weren't even watching the Washington football team. No, I have tweet evidence prior to week <laughs> one. I said, I'm ready for what's on the on, on the horizon or something like that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, um, either way, it's going to be an exciting game. What's what's the spread again? What's it's, the, the line right now? It's Bucks minus eight and a half. So we're about to do this. Let's go through this now, all right? We're going to go through all of the games We'll go chronologically. So we'll actually start. Give me uh, your prediction with the spread and a quick synopsis of your rationale. So we got Bills minus six versus the Colts. That's the first game on Saturday. I'm going to go. I was tempted to go with the Colts, but I'm going to go with the Bills here. I think they win by a touchdown. Um, 
their their offense has just looked unstoppable, even against good defenses. I think Indy's defense has taken a step back the last couple of weeks. Uh, and is DeForest Buckner playing? I think he's questionable. Last I saw, I mean that's a huge. Yeah. So I, I too many questions for me. I don't think Rivers can keep up. The Bills are just clicking on all cylinders. I'm taking. I'm taking Buffalo. So as a Josh Allen fantasy owner, I have the Bills big. Uh, the okay. Colts defense, like you said, does not look as good, especially with him out. Um, and they've struggled down the stretch. They couldn't hold that 17-point lead versus uh, Pittsburgh. Not to mention, if the Bills strike quick early, which I know they're going to try to do, especially now that they have 7,000 home fans there, they're not, the Colts are going to have to rely less on Jonathan Taylor, more on Phillip Rivers, which is never a good thing, especially in 2021. So I got the Bills big in this one. Okay. Um, and, you know, sleeper Super Bowl pick. They're not really a sleeper anymore, but yeah, because they have to play round one and the Chiefs don't, I think that's such a built-in advantage that the Chiefs have. Um, but we'll see what happens. All right, Seahawks minus three and a half versus the Rams. Uh, and I don't know Jared Goff's status. Let's see what – I don't know if, if it's going to be him or Wolford. He is good, but status for long Los Angeles Rams, wildcard uncertain. So he's also a game time decision with that thumb injury. I don't know if it matters. All right. Well, give me the Rams and give me the Rams money line. Give me the Rams straight up to wow. beat Seattle. I have I have a theory that I often and I haven't actually put this in practice on my betting. I think it's very hard to win for it when two teams in a division are really good, it's very hard to win two games in a row. I think the other team ends up making adjustments um, and ends up winning that. So, you know, I see a lot. Of, I, I think it ping pongs between teams when they're really good. Guess who won the last game? Seattle did. Seattle was not impressive in that last game. It, the golf shot, you know, themselves in the foot or himself in the foot. That interception was terrible. Rams defense played like lights out, but Seattle still ended up scoring 20 because the Rams could not move the ball at all. I have a feeling that this is going to be a very, very different type of game. It's going to be low scoring. I think the Seahawks are going to struggle, and I think the Rams will do just enough. Whether it's uh, Wolford or Goff, I think they'll pull off the upset, and it's going to be Rams over Seahawks. Damn. I I love the Rams because I love Aaron Donald. I love Jalen Ramsey. I want to take them here. I just cannot trust the play I'm getting out of the quarterback position. I cannot bet one of those quarterbacks on the road against Russell Wilson. I know Wilson does this every year where – he starts off amazing. We all wonder why he didn't receive any MVP votes. And then by December, we all remember again. And I think the same thing happened this year. But Wilson is going to to make enough plays. Um, I think I agree it's going to be low scoring. But similar to the Washington game, I don't know if a Jared Goff or John Wolford team can get to 21 points. And I think the Seahawks are going to be able to get there. So I got the Seahawks minus three and a half here. All okay. right. Uh, the next one up is our game. We, as I mentioned, it's Saturday night in primetime. Uh, cannot wait for this. Washington football team, they are laying eight and a half. Um, sorry, laying means you're giving. They're getting mm-hmm. eight and a half at home. Uh, versus the, 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 there's two out of six teams this weekend that are home underdogs. Washington's one of them. Tennessee's the other. Washington is laying, giving eight and a half versus the Bucks. What do you have? I have Washington. I have Washington losing by 
three or six is, is roughly what I'm saying. They're going to lose by less than a touchdown. It's going to be a closer game than people think. It's going to be a one-possession game for most of the game. But my bucks come out, and that's fine. You know what? A win's a win. Let's move on to the next weekend. We don't need a blowout. It just needs to be a win, but it's going to be close. DC or nothing, baby. I got Washington money line. Uh, we're going to get home. We're going to get home early and often. He's going to feel Chase Young at his feet all night. Montez Sweat's going to make at least one big play, sack fumble type situation. Uh, shades of Sean Taylor returning that fumble. Um, I got Washington Moneyline winning and moving on uh, to face either the Packers or the, I guess, the winner of the other side. They, I could, don't know yet. they could play the Packers. Actually, no, if, you're, if Washington wins – yeah, they could play the Packers, Saints, or Seahawks. I yeah, think, it's always wide game. open, and there's no second buy team, so you really can't prepare yeah. for anybody, which is going to be make things interesting. But one last thing about that game, Chase Young, as as you know, uh, you know, you saw the clip. Everyone, I'm sure, have seen the clip of him saying, "We want Tom, we want Tom Brady." Um, do you know what our response was to that? Did you hear what Bruce Arians had to say? What do you say? Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. And, what do you want the guy to say? There was only and, and, one you know, team that they could play. Tom Brady hasn't really said anything, but you know what? You know, Tom Brady takes everything to heart. He is an assassin. He's going to hear what Chase Young said, and he's going to come out and ball. So it's going to be a low-scoring game, but he's going to do what he needs to do and avoid. He's going to get sacked less than three times. No, less than four times. <laughs> You know what the rumor was in the locker room? He said, we want Blaine because he knew we were going to knock out Tom Brady, and so he wants to play Blaine Gabbard. Oh, God, that would be a nightmare. Um, All right, next up, we have the Titans in a playoff rematch from last season. Three-and-a-half-point underdogs versus the Ravens at home. Give me the Ravens' revenge game. Team with all the momentum. They're clicking. Uh, the Titans defense is uh, – it was not amazing last year, but it is a train wreck uh, defensively. The worst defensive team left in the playoffs. Um, that game against Houston where it didn't totally matter because essentially by then they had clinched a playoff spot uh, and they were just fighting for who got to get that fourth seed between them and, and Indy. But they could not stop anyone. Um, and it, in a game that actually did matter. And I think – this Baltimore team is clicking at the right time. The Lamar Jackson is, is playing like the Lamar Jackson of last year. Uh, I, I think they run him over. I don't think it's close. I think they win by more than seven. Wow. And it's a revenge game. So I think that matters to this team. So the case for picking the Ravens is what? Do you really think Lamar Jackson is going to go 0-3 in his playoff career with two previously bad losses where he played poorly and potentially a third one here? The case for the I mean, Titans yeah. is – can their weak passing defense be exposed by a quarterback who hasn't been hasn't proven to be able to you know be a good thrower in the postseason? Like call it what it is. Lamar is not a running back. He's not anything. He's a great, great quarterback, but he has not been that great in his two playoff starts. And for that reason, I don't think he's going to expo- going to expose Tennessee's pass defense the way it should be. Um, and so, therefore, I'm taking the Titans. The you know the critics are going to come for Lamar after this, but I see Derrick Henry having a monster monster game. Uh, Patrick Queen's going to be seeing the backside of of Henry all game long, and I got t- Tennessee in this one. Okay, okay, another one where we differ. I like it. 
right. This next one is the biggest line of the weekend. Uh, Saints at home laying 10 points versus the Chicago Bears, our beloved Bears. Um, how are you feeling about this one? Give me the Chicago Bears. Give me Chicago. Now, look, uh, this one, the one, this is the one I'm the least confident about because um, Chicago has not looked. I mean, they've looked more impressive as of late. Uh, David Montgomery has has kind of turned a corner and has been playing really well the last couple of games. Trubisky's slowed down a little bit. Um, you know, they they were hanging tight with the Packers last week, but ended up you know falling apart. The problem with this Bears team is they don't match up well against the Saints. Um, and that's why this line is so high. But I still think that they have enough talent. And I think they can pop. Breeze is at a different stage of, you know, than what he was early in the season. I think if you get to him a couple times, which the Bears are totally capable of, um, they can rattle him, cause him to make some mistakes. This game will be closer than I think people are predicting. So. I'm I'm saying that the Saints win, but the Bears will will cover. I like Chicago too, and I'm nervous about this because I could easily see it turning into a 34-20 game. That feels like a score that could happen, and yep. therefore the Saints would cover. They are getting Michael Thomas back. Alvin Kamara just tweeted today that he's been cleared from COVID protocol, and he'll be there. So they have their full complement of weapons. Uh, they actually played this year, but it was in Chicago. It was overtime game, and yep. there was no Michael Thomas, I don't think. Um if I remember correctly, it might have even been a Taysom Hill game, honestly. So no, um, no, it was a Breeze game. It was Breeze. Okay, so you can you can kind of throw it out though if it's in Chicago versus in the Superdome, and also no Michael Thomas. But I do think that um, I agree with you that Chicago is going to struggle uh, defensively, especially guarding Kamara. Roquan Smith is going to have his hands full. Um, and I don't know that he's got the speed uh, or shiftiness to keep up with Kamara out of the backfield, but. If Kyle Fuller can stay close to Michael Thomas, I don't really fear uh, the other side of the ball uh, much in terms of Emmanuel Sanders or Jared Cook or any of those other guys. So if there's a way that Kyle Fuller, pride of Blacksburg, Virginia, uh, let him know. Um, If he can do it to him, I think that, you know, Trubisky can make some plays. Now, he's going to have to be a player he hasn't really proven to be yet. I know he's played well down the stretch, but they also had a complement of bad defenses they were going against. Terrible. Texans, Vikings, Lions, that kind of thing. Um, and even the Packers, like in games that the Packers were up big and there were some garbage time scores. So yep. um, to that end, I think, you know, it's going to be tough sledding, but I'm not going to pick against the hometown squad. I'm going Bears. Maybe similar to what you said, cover but not win. Nope. All right, we're probably going to both regret that one. Um, and then the final yeah, game, like <laughs> the final game is the Steelers minus six uh, versus the Browns. Now, uh, the Browns are made the playoffs for the first time since two thousand three. Uh, the first uh, double digit win season, I think, since two thousand seven. So this is totally uncharted territory. Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, is out along with a few other key coaches. And now uh, they're starting left guard, uh, or, you know, Joel Batonio, or right guard, excuse me, or left guard, sorry, yeah, left guard. And then their starting safety uh, was just reported as out today with COVID. So they got a bunch of problems. Um, still have Baker, still have Chubb, Miles Garrett, but it's a tough matchup for them. So what do you what do you got in the Steelers-Browns matchup? What's the line again? Six. Yeah, so... 
first off, I want to say I feel terrible, terrible for Browns fans because this is the most Browns thing to happen. Um, it's the kind of thing I would expect to happen to like the Bucks, like the first time we make the playoffs, <laughs> just, everyone's out. Um, I, I look, I, I'd like to think they'll still make it competitive, but and I know that everyone's off the Steelers. Um, you know, after seeing the how the second half of the season has played out, I gotta go with the Steelers here. Six points is given all the issues the Browns are facing. I think the Steelers are going to win by more than a touchdown. I, I just think it's going to be too hard to. To compensate for all that, um, I think it'll be close early, but see, uh, Pittsburgh ends up running away with it. Do we like Pittsburgh? Like, have they played well? Uh, no, right? They've had one good win, and that was a kind of fluky yep. comeback versus Indianapolis. Um, I will say the Browns and Steelers. To your to your point, they just played last week, and it was a little concerning how close the game was with Mason Rudolph. But at this stage of Ben's career, I'm not sure how much of an upgrade he is. I don't think the Steelers can run the ball at all. And their passing game is so strange in that it's like a supercharged Alex Smith offense. They got all of these weapons. They throw immediately. Like Juju Smith-Schuster will have like eight catches for like 32 yards. Like that's like a typical line you'd see from him. And Deontay Johnson as well. Everything is short, quick. Yeah, and I think um, the Steelers can get pressure on Baker, and he is not a good quarterback. I mean, no no quarterback's great when they're facing pressure, but he really falls apart. I think he needs a perfect situation around him. That being said, I liked what I saw from Nick Chubb uh, last week and how he was able to run against this defense. And I also think that they probably took their foot off the gas in the sense of how much they ran, which is not typically a phrase you hear about when running the ball, but that's how explosive their run game is with him and Kareem Hunt. Give me the Browns. Let's see. Oh, Let's, okay. Give me the Browns money line um, ah. because I actually think that the home field advantage in, in Pittsburgh is not going to matter. There's a sparse number of fans, I think, there. But this is what you play for, man. Like, who knows when they're going to be back again? It took 17 years to get here. I think the players know that. Um, I think they're trying to win it for their coach. I don't know. What do you think? How much does a head coach not being there on the day of the game matter? A lot? I think it might matter. I think it might make a big difference. Like, uh, and and look, Tomlin, Tomlin's been there before, done that. I I wouldn't trust Cleveland to outright win this game because th- there's just too many things they're dealing with, and and this is the first time this organization's been in the playoffs. There are a lot of guys on that roster who have not played in the playoffs, and you can get tight. Things can get tense. That's another thing I worry about with the Bucks, like not Brady, but like some of the other guys. Um, I, I think this stuff matters, man. So I don't know. I, I feel a little wary of taking the Browns. Yeah, I was thinking like if it was like a Adam Gase or somebody, you would actually like hope that they're not there on the day of the game. But in the case of Stefanski, and I was listening to Dan Orlovsky, and you know he was talking about like, look, the first quarter is all going to be pre-scripted. It's not going mm-hmm. to be matter there. It's really going to be about the situational stuff down the stretch. I think it's pretty unfair that the NFL won't allow him to communicate. I don't see why that's a problem. I don't I, I I never understood why that would not be allowed. Like if it was a suspension or something of that sort, fine, but this is like a pandemic and it's like total like aberration. Yeah, I, I get why they wouldn't do that normally, but like given the circumstances, I think they should make an exception. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. That that does feel a little bit weird and I don't feel great about trusting Baker and I just kind of wanted to disagree cuz we don't do that enough on here, so I'm going to go Browns money line. Okay. Okay. So we, I think we've disagreed on at least four. 
I think four. Yeah, let's go with this. We both said Bills minus six. You took the Rams plus three and a half. I took Seahawks. We both took Washington football team. Oh, that's true. Half. Uh, you got the Ravens getting revenge on Tennessee. I took the Titans. We both took the Bears. And then you took the Steelers. I took the Browns. So I think we'll probably three. somehow three go like two and four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but all right. Dude, that's possible. About an hour and 20 minutes or hour into this podcast, I don't know how long we've been recording, we're finally going to get to the purpose of the podcast. Let's talk basketball for a quick little bit. We'll come back with a more basketball-centric pod next week unless we end up yelling about some controversy in the Bucks washington oh, game. But you know we're going to have to talk about that game. We will. We will. <laughs> unless we blow you out and Alex Smith tosses four TDs and 400 yards or something like that. But, um, so – you know, two weeks into the season, three weeks into the season, actually, really, it's it's been chaotic, uh, to say the least. There are a lot more blowouts than I think I remember in recent past. There's, of course, the COVID protocols in place that have knocked out several players. Uh, Kevin Durant's the biggest example right now who's out because of it. Seth Curry literally just tested positive um, a few minutes ago, it was announced. And then you have like the no fans, you have the varied off seasons. And so I think even two weeks, two plus weeks in, I'm having a really hard time getting a handle on what's what. Uh, We were ready to put the Brooklyn Nets banner up um, after opening night and then again on Christmas Day. And now they're 500, right? You know, similarly, there's teams that we were clowning that now look pretty good. So what are your overall thoughts? We want to get into a couple teams that we think two up, two down kind of situations. But what are your overall thoughts just on, you know, this far into the season? Yeah, I, I think I underestimated how much not having a training camp um, kind of or shortened off season, at least shortened for the playoff teams. Um, I underestimated how much of an effect that would have. And I think when we did our over-unders, I think we should have really gone with the philosophy of, Look, all the crappy teams take the overs, and for some of the good teams, take the unders because everything's kind of meld towards the middle. Yep. And I and I think everything will shake out kind of more like what we'd expect towards the end of the season. But um, I don't know, man. I think it's 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 been a very interesting season, and and I think the back to backs uh, against the same team have provided an interesting wrinkle in the schedule because now. Um, you know, let's say you're, uh, you know, Sacramento played Phoenix um, and Sacramento won the first game. And if you play them again later in the season, maybe Sacramento can take that again. But when you play that same team the very next day, that team can make direct adjustments. You know, they're not on a flight to go play someone else and thinking about a different opponent. And I think that actually, uh, I haven't looked at the stats, but I'm cu- I would be curious to see how that's actually impacting um these these games like are we seeing more one-to-one splits between teams that might have greater disparity just because you can actually adjust immediately um so that's one of the things i've noticed yeah actually it's a great point because as you were talking about it in regards to the nfl my head actually jumped to the nba and the way that that's happening a lot where you play the same team twice and once you've already traveled there and you've had a game you have a rest day there's no more home court advantage especially when there's no fans because you don't have like a, a wary team who's landing at 3 a.m. You don't have a time zone shift going west to east, east to west, whatever. Like they've already been there. 
Uh, of course, the Wizards managed to lose both of their sets of games to the Bulls and the Magic <laughs> at home. So that's neither here nor there. But, you know, I think I think it's a good point because I think in that second game, it ends up becoming much more of a toss-up and probably, frankly, favors the team that lost uh, yeah. game one because they can figure out exactly what they did wrong. And unlike a playoff series where there's a seeding and there's an actual, like, you know, explanation of of how good each team is, in this case, it could be any two random teams. Yeah. Um, and then you that's not even factoring in all the load management stuff, who chooses to sit. I will say I don't see that as often so far. Um, like Kawhi has been mostly playing, LeBron and AD. Some of the guys I thought might take it easy have basically been out there every game. I think Kawhi missed one game and they lost by 100 points to the Mavs. But, um, you know, the, the other thing that I would say is interesting is the shooting has been insanely good. Yeah. Um, I think I was listening to, and this was part of the eye test and confirming with stats. I think it was on Rosillo's pod or one of the others this week that talked about how there was like seven or eight teams shooting above 39% from three this season, including the, Maver- uh, the, the Bucks who were shooting 44% from three for yeah. reference the Steph Curry's career average is around there. Um, so that shows you how I mean, the entire team, team was shooting. Yeah. Like Steph, yeah. And I, I wonder if that's just purely small sample size or if that has anything to do with the lack of fans or like you're playing in these empty stadiums. But that would be really interesting because I think seven teams are above 39% this year. Last year, I think there was zero. So how do you reconcile some of these early trends? Um, let's jump into one. In I, I do want to say one, yeah. one thing. Right? I yeah. think the coaching across the board has gotten better. Like when you look at uh, a lot of teams, they upgraded their coaches and they, they took coaches. You talk about Tom Thibodeau and the Knicks. Billy Donovan, Chicago started off slow. They picked it up a little bit. They're playing a little bit better. Um, you know, my guy, Nate Bjorken in uh, Indiana, right? I think the level of coaching has just gotten better across the board. Bjorken looks um, good. Yeah. And so I think that's also inflating some of these numbers. But you're right that. The empty gyms, I think that has to affect things somehow. Like, did you it, make it's that such coaching a weird point? Feeling. Did you make mm-hmm. that coaching point to tweak me about Scott Brooks? Is that what you're trying to do to me? <laughs> I forgot Scott Brooks. We, play, job. we played Ish Smith the entire fourth quarter yesterday versus Philly. Oh my goodness! Uh, my I, head I, head we'll, we'll get to Scott Brooks and, and what's happening with the Wizards, but I, I mean, either the coaching has stayed the same or has gotten better in a lot of places. I don't, I don't see a lot of teams. Um, you know, there aren't a lot of new, brand new guys who are coaching and have, have struggled. So I think that's part of it. All right. So we're going to do two up, two down in each conference, one team that's impressed us, one team that's disappointed us. And then as a fifth bonus team, I'm going to yell about the Wizards at the end. But for the up team, you know, this team gets shit on every year. It's a running joke around the league. But let's give them their due. Uh, the New York Knicks, who are five and three playing really, really well under, you know, Tom Thibodeau is now in his first year and he's doing everything that he always does. He's got them playing really well defensively. They're seventh in the league. He's got them playing a ton. Julius Randle and RJ Barrett are one, two in minutes in the league. And I've, I've got to say, like, starting with Randle, I cannot even believe the player I'm watching. Yeah who's a total black hole for the entirety of his career. Suddenly he's averaging seven assists a game. He looks like uh, the next coming of Charles Barkley um, rumbling down the floor. And, you know, even Barrett, who's shooting 39% from the field, last year that was a total 
you know, those were total dead minutes. But this year he actually has guys who can make shots around him, mm-hmm. Austin Rivers, Alec Burks, et cetera. So he actually is – his shooting is masked in a way that he's, he's an effective player on the floor. And, you know, the Knicks have a little bit of luck defensively with teams missing shots, but it's five and three and nobody can say that they saw this coming. No, not at all. And, and I think, once again, I think this is an under I took. Um, but you underestimate what good coaching can do. Thibs has always carried a high floor. Like, he gets the most out of his teams. Even those Minnesota teams that struggled, like, um, they would play hard uh, a lot of nights. And I think Julius Randle, like you said, has been a revelation. Last year, he had really high usage and was terribly inefficient. Uh, this year, he's still a focal point of the offense. They're still running everything through him. But he's shooting 50-40 from the field. Like, it's crazy. And that, that might go down a little bit. But like you said, he has looked, like just the eye test-wise, like a completely different player. Um, but they're they're making their bones on defense. It's a little bit of the Milwaukee Bucks thing where they're giving up a lot of perimeter shots and those haven't been following uh, falling. Uh, so their defensive numbers actually look better than they might be um, given the talent they have. But look, it's working. They've got with that guy Emmanuel quickly. He's, uh, he's getting a lot of buzz. He's good. Um, he's the rookie Austin, from Kentucky, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, right? Yeah. And then Austin Rivers has been like a nice little addition and, and like a stabilizing force for them, you know, Dude, with the all shooting 55% from three right now. Alec Burks is shooting 66% from three. Yeah. So, so, so some of this is all going to come down. Like, they're not, we, I don't think any of us thinks they're going to be a winning team by the end of the season, like over 500. But, like they could be flirting with 500. They're they're looking pretty good overall. So I yeah. was completely wrong about them. And they've only gotten one game from Obi Toppin, right? Who yeah. in his one game looked like he was, you know, he looked the part in terms of an NBA player. Um, I don't know how much he would contribute to them when healthy, but that's that's a guy that they're going to get back. And you know, they're going to Kevin Knox looks like he may be not anything ever, but Frank Frank Nicolina has missed four games. Like you know, Alec Burks has missed five games. So even though they're five and three, they haven't necessarily had their full yep. complement of players either. And I don't know. Like some of these guys, you look at the roster and it's like a G League team on some senses, right? But then you know they beat the Bucks and they're they're going toe to toe with the Pacers and they're beating the Jazz last night. And it's yeah, like they're not, they're not just beating up on only the Pistons and like all these shitty teams. Like they're going against good teams and winning and. Are they going to get slept on some nights? And maybe that's why, sure. But, hey, they'll take it. The wins are wins, right? You, just keep, you yep. keep stacking wins. And, you know, we talk about the play-in tournament this year. What's the 10 seed in the East got to win? Not, I mean, they don't have to go 500. They can mm-hmm. go 30 and 52 or whatever the equivalent of that is and maybe be in contention for number 10 or 34 and 48. And I think that's definitely within reach. Yeah, no, exactly. So they, they, they'll be um, – they're going to be competitive on a lot of nights, and I think that's more than we could have said about the Knicks for a while. Uh, I will say the Washington football team could use Kevin Knox uh, in that quarterback room. You know, maybe that would give you a chance this Saturday. But, um, ESPN 300 quarterback who's going to direct all these superstars and be the leader in the huddle. Uh, and he can't do any worse than what's his name, uh, Hilton, Kendall Hilton, on the he Broncos. He can't do any worse than what he's doing for the Knicks. <laughs> that's yeah, true. Kendall Hilton, like the Hinton. 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 Um, but yeah the other thing I would say with the Knicks really quickly is that um, you know defensively 
they're going even though the shooting could regress to the mean a little bit because it's Tibbs because it's the high floor like you talked about they're always going to scrap and even if the shooting regresses a little bit I think it's still comfortably going to be way better than it was last season now they have to pick it up offensively they're 27th in the league offensively and uh, I don't know exactly how that's going to be done because the talent doesn't really indicate that they can do much better. But look, Julius Randle, if you were just naming very, very early All-Stars, he is one. Oh, 100%. Yeah. In the East, he would make the uh, – he'd be a starter for the All-Star team today. I got to tell you, so I, I, I'm playing fantasy basketball, right, for the first time in 10 years maybe. And it's an auction draft. So not only am I not used to playing, I have to figure out auction drafts, which are you know way harder than Snake. And Randall, I get him for like six bucks. And I'm like, yeah, you know, he always puts up stats, like whatever. I wasn't yeah. even putting two and two together that he was going to play basically every waking minute. But yeah. um, he's carrying us. Like, he's incredible. And like, this, I'm like looking, I'm like following him closely for that reason. And I'm like, this dude's 26, 11, and nine. Like, who is this? <laughs> it's just wild. Yeah. But, yeah. All right. The team uh, that has struggled, that uh, I think I predicted, not gonna, you know, not gonna toot my own horn over here a little bit, but the Toronto Raptors, who are one in six right now, um, and for reference, you know, they were basically close to sixty win pace teams the last three seasons, um, despite all of the different roster turnover they've had, one in six, and. They look like they're a total mess. Uh, they're 26th on offense, 16th on defense. Um, I think one of the things I was worried about was Pascal Siakam as the lead guy on a on a good team. And he came out of the gates last season guns blazing, right? I think he was averaging like 26 or 27 a game, more than Kawhi was averaging for that team, which was crazy. It started to sputter a little bit, and then it really fell apart in the bubble where he was just getting undressed by Jason Tatum and uh, and Jalen Brown. This season has kind of gone from bad to worse. Um, and, you know, he's averaging 20 a game, but he looks totally lost. He was suspended for a game because he walked off uh, early uh, the previous game. And I don't know. Fred Van Vliet was struggling. He's starting to recover, but this team looks lost. And I think the Baca Gasol, uh, you know, departures were a little bit bigger than maybe we had anticipated. But what do you see with Toronto? Is it just a matter of like, let's get them to play enough games and get them comfortable in Tampa? Or is there anything more that we need to be concerned with? Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that you did call the under, but don't forget that two days after that, you were trying to change it to the over. Oh, and hedged. you already regretted it. <laughs> I'm fully hedged on them. I could say anything that happens. Is you, did. Um, you, for, you, you know, you named some of the key departures. You forgot the biggest offensive departure for them, though. Do you know who I'm thinking of? Nate Bjorken. The, the, Nate the, Bjorken. The is it a coincidence that when he left, the Toronto offense fell apart and the Pacers now look like the new Raptors? This is like Frank Reich leaving the Super Bowl champion Eagles. Exactly. And now Doug Peterson's left with, you know, he's, he's Pascal Siakam is Carson, Carson Wentz. Exactly. <laughs> look at look. Um, so okay, with Toronto, I don't I honestly don't know what to make of them. I think the one thing I would have said if, if Toronto faltered this year, I would have said Van Vliet was overpaid and not ready for the role. But the reality is Van Vliet's been playing well of late. Started a little slow. Um, he's he showed that he's showing that he can burden that scoring role. He went thirty five and eight against Boston. Like yeah. this guy is is playing up to that contract. 
Um, but the offense is dead last in a lot of categories. And like you mentioned, I think 26th overall. Um, and all their guys just forgot how to shoot. Like OG Ananobi just got paid this offseason or got the extension. Uh, his shooting has fallen off a cliff. Norm Powell looks terrible, and he had a really good season. So I think there's a little bit of a regression. Like you said, Siakam overperformed or outperformed expectations, at least in the first half of last year. And I think everyone's kind of regressing back to the mean. Um, yeah. And and some of those some of that depth, big depth that they had last year, they don't have anymore. Um, and I think it's all catching up to them. I don't think they're as bad as one and six, but uh, I don't know. I, this It's not looking good, and I don't think that they're going to all of a sudden right the ship. I think they'll be better, but um, they, I think this team funny. will continue to trouble. It's funny because Ananobi was my uh, most improved candidate. Uh, and I'm safe to say he's not a clubhouse leader right now. But the other thing that I thought was interesting is as the James Harden trade rumors were starting to pick up steam and teams outside of just Boston and Philadelphia were, were being mentioned, Toronto was one of them, which is like, can we get a deal centered around Siaka, maybe Powell, et cetera. That has gone from, no, you wouldn't trade for Harden and give up those guys to no, those guys are not enough for James Harden because they may yeah. not be that good. And you know, Powell's a great example. I think he averaged like 16 a game last season and was a really, really good player off the bench for them and kind of out of nowhere. Like he was a very quiet 16. Now it's a very quiet nine. And yeah, um, yeah I, you know, maybe it is a Bjorken, right? Like we've seen assistant coaches leave teams and the team complexion change. Uh, you know, I mentioned the the Frank Reich example, but even in the NBA, like something like Tom Thibodeau leaving Boston and going to become the head coach of Chicago. And like, he was the architect of those defenses. And, and I don't know what's going on. How much, how much should we pay attention to the fact that they've had to relocate their entire lives? Cause I don't think that that's yeah. nothing. I don't think it's nothing. Um, I definitely think it impacts them to some extent. And look, it's still early, right? Like, couple things go a little bit differently. They could be a three and five or four and four. And it's not as worrisome. A lot of teams are in that range. Right? Yeah. So I don't know if we want to overreact. I definitely think that's been hard. Um, the Harden thing would be, why not? And they, look, if I'm Harden, Tampa, you're in Tampa. You've got strip clubs. You're fine. You're not in Toronto, right? You're that's in a Yeah. Like, uh, why not go for it? And I think, you know, I think Masai is bold enough to do something like that. I don't know if they will, but. This team, as constructed, clearly, we saw the ceiling last year in the postseason. Like without Kawhi, they're just they're so limited, right? They had a yeah. high floor, but also cap ceiling. And now we're seeing the floor is not as high as we thought it was either. So um, I think Masai is going to make some moves. Uh, I think this roster is going to look a little bit different. Um, you don't want to overreact, but like this team's not going anywhere. Like Lowry's also getting older. Like what are you going to do? Yeah, he's an expiring contract who can't – he's not extension eligible because he already signed a one-year yeah. extension to get to this point. So, you know, I told you way back when maybe this is a team – maybe this is a team that trades starts unloading assets, including Larry, to like the Clippers or, or something to that effect. Mm -hmm. But, you know, with Toronto, Masai's never been a guy who's afraid of taking the shot. And now he has all of the, you know, all of the um, – goodwill in the bag right like oh, he's yeah. won the title so you can kind of do anything but here's the other reality is he's an expiring free agent himself and he doesn't <laughs> have a new deal on the table and yeah. so i don't know if that's a result of he's not sure he wants to be there i can't imagine it's anything else because 
the owners of the Raptors have extremely deep pockets. They're one of the richest owners in the NBA, that whole like Maple, Maple Leaf Sports Entertainment Group. Not to mention, they'll give him whatever deal he wants, right? So this, oh, yeah. this is probably not from their end. It might be from his to go explore other options. Like he already did it in Toronto. Let me go find the next challenge. Yeah. And his name, like he can get any job he wants right now in the NBA. Like that's how much kind of he's held, like the highest team he's held in. So, so to that point, I don't know that the owners would sign off on a James Harden trade if it involved giving up a bunch of future picks and assets that he's not even going to be around to see. Yeah, um, it might be just run this another year, and then you'll have to reevaluate when you get a new GM next season. So, right, or any deal, right, for any deal for that matter that gives up future assets. Yep. Like it has to be something. Like, if they, if he wanted to go trade Kyle Lowry, maybe yeah, that's something that they're okay with. But if it's like, hey, we want to package all these guys to go try to make a move for a Bradley Beal or or Cat or whoever, I think they would say no. I mean, I just it's tough when when he his future is not even clear. But <laughs> all right, let's flip to the West for a second now. So the up team is the Phoenix Suns, who are currently first in the West, uh, six and two. Um, you know they've been. They've been really fun. They're fifth on offense, 10th on defense, fifth overall in terms of net rating. And, you know, in my opinion, the numbers don't pop off the page in terms of anybody's individual production, but they got seven people in double figures. They're Um, so deep. So deep. They can hurt you from so many different directions. And Chris Paul's given them every single thing that the optimists thought he would. Uh, he builds winning cultures and he builds winning programs. And this is just yet another example, in my opinion. You know, the, what I think about is it's so unfortunate that Chris Paul had that little stint in Houston, which wasn't unsuccessful. Like they pushed the Warriors, but it like we were surprised last year with OKC. I think people expected the Suns to be good again this year with Chris Paul, but I'm still surprised at just how good Chris Paul is and how much yeah. he, he means to winning basketball. Um, and this team, like, look, this team is so deep, and I didn't give that enough credit. Like, you've got Cam Johnson playing well. You got Payne. Cam Payne played pro- decently last season, playing well again, shooting really well. Yeah. Uh, Saric is coming off the bench, and he could be starting. Uh, Bridges, Crowder, like all these guys. And I think the biggest improvement, though, because if you look at Booker and his shooting numbers, they're actually down. Um, I think it's Aiden, DeAndre Aiden, has become even. He's continued to make strides defensively. Um, and by a lot of defensive metrics, he's looked really good. Yeah. And this team is defensively is long, right? They've got a lot of versatility. They can switch easily. Um, I don't know. There's a lot to like about them. Like I, and and you know, a lot of people were high on the Suns. Um, you know, a lot of people penciled them in for the playoffs, but I don't think anyone expected them to be what the top of the West at least early in the season. So. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things that really favor them. One is. There's games like, I think, two nights ago, they were down 30 to the Clippers. And it seemed like one of those games that's like, oh, maybe the Phoenix isn't, you know, maybe they're not actually that good. And they came back and actually either took the lead or tied it up or something like that. And that's not something that weak-minded teams do. Uh, I know it's it's early, but that's even more reason to pack it in and just be like, we'll see you tomorrow, right? The Clippers did it with the Mavericks when they went down 50. Um, The second thing I would say is, they're not even playing that well yet. Yeah, they're not. Like, <laughs> so you look at a Chris Paul, who's one of the most efficient players really in NBA history. He's shooting 40% from the field. That is unheard of for Chris Paul. 33% from, from three. 
Again, nothing that hits, mirrors anything he's done in his career. DeAndre, you mentioned him. He's playing really well defensively. I'll give you that. But offensively, it feels like he's got so much more to go. Um, he, he's shooting under 10 times a game because of all the depth and all the different options. Um, the one guy, Mikel Bridges, that you mentioned, of all the dumbass things that the Philadelphia 76ers did post-Sam Hinkie, this was underratedly one of the dumbest. When they traded him to Phoenix for the rights to draft um, Zaire Smith, that was a draft day yep. trade. I remember thinking, I was like, man, Mikel Bridges was awesome at Villanova. Isn't he exactly kind of the 3 and D player that would fit well? Um, long story short, he's become a, one of the best kind of role players in the league. Uh, and maybe he's got some consideration for that most improved role, right? Like he, he's really, really a good player next to them and he doesn't need the ball. Um, but at the same time, he's knocked down from three, but I think there's a lot of guys that you still haven't really seen their best version. Devin Booker is below all of his numbers from the last couple seasons. And if this team can click, if they can start playing consistently, if Paul gets into more of a rhythm, I mean, do I think they're going to beat the Lakers or Clippers in a seven-game series? No. But if they can avoid them in round one and two, one and two, can they make a conference final run? I mean, <laughs> oh, okay. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Well, like who else? Like the next team we're going to talk about, yeah. Denver, was the one that we were, you know, right? You you had uh, Jokic's MVP statue carved. I had the Mike Malone Coach of the Year already rung up. Like, who's going to? I'm saying yeah. they're not going to beat the Lakers, LA teams in a playoff series, but if they end up in the one or two spot and they avoid them, is there a chance for them to make the conference finals? I'd say yes. Yeah. I mean, I, look, I, the West is definitely having a down year. Um, a lot of teams don't look great, to be honest. So it's possible. I, I still have – I want to see more. I want to see more. Like you said, this team is not playing up to its potential, but um, it's early. So I'll give credit where credit's due. I picked the Suns to go under. I said they this team was being overrated. I thought Chris Paul was not going to really move the needle. He hasn't played that well, but I still think that by the eye test, he's actually um, – he is a good presence on that team. Uh, he's bringing some stability to that offense and stuff that's not showing up in the stats um, they're benefiting from. So we'll see. Uh, they they do look like they're going to be pretty good this year. All right, and the final team in the two up two down uh, section here is is actually a team that's currently in overtime versus the Dallas Mavericks, um, the Denver Nuggets, who we both really really liked this season. We thought that they were going to come kick ass. They're three and four. Uh, maybe they end up being four and four, three and five. We'll see what happens tonight. But it's felt very uneven um starting with that opening night loss to sacramento um which was a game they kind of gave away in some senses like the kings deserved it but it didn't feel like the nuggets were playing well and it, it sort of just cascaded throughout the whole season uh you know they don't have michael porter jr due to covid protocols it actually just got extended 10 days because i think he broke protocols again or something like that but um What's going on with Denver? Because I have a theory, but curious for your thoughts before I jump in. I, I'm not overreacting too much to Denver. Like, that loss to Sacramento was a bad loss. They shouldn't have lost that. Uh, they lost twice to us, once without Jamal Murray. 
Um, and the Kings clearly are not the same team they were or what we thought they were based on the beginning of the season. Uh, and Jamal Murray also, you know, like I said, he missed an early game. He also had a putrid game in game one. Uh, he's come on of late. Uh, he scored 31, 36 in, in the last couple of games. Um, and Jokic, you know, you joke about the MVP. He has looked incredible. He is he averaging is a triple double. He is scoring more than he's ever, ever has. I think 12 assists, 12 rebounds. Um, and look, they do have a lot of, yeah. And, and they have a guy, a lot of guys who are underperforming to start the season. Um, but I think they're going to slowly kind of pick things up. Jamichael Green is, is kind of getting acclimated to that offense, that system. He isn't the new addition and he, Originally, first couple of games he did not play well, and look, this this team is still second highest offensive rating right now. They have the second lowest defensive rating, so they're struggling defensively. When last year they're middle of the pack, um, but Malone makes his bones on defense. So I think you know that's something that's going to get fixed. This team is only going to get better. And like I said, I think we made a mistake with the overs on the top end teams. Like this team may not necessarily you know be a sixty win pace team, but I think when all is said and done, they're going to be a top three seed. So I'm not overreacting too much at the start, but want to hear your thoughts. I'm not worried as well about whether or not they're going to be a good team. It's encouraging that Jokic is playing as well as he is because that would be more worrisome um, if it was him uh, that was driving this train downwards. My issue was with the other star. Um, and I've, if you remember, railed on Jamal Murray's max contract last year and why they did it so early. And I felt vindicated during the regular season and then immediately ate crow in the playoffs uh, when he went absolutely apeshit. But what I think we did is we let a very small and bizarre sample in the bubble kind of cloud our opinion on a lot of guys who aren't the guys that they showed us necessarily, whether that's, um, you know, Jamal Murray, whether that's Donovan Mitchell, who's kind of come back to earth a little bit, whether that's Jimmy Butler, who doesn't look that good right now. Versus the tier we were putting him in, going toe-to-toe with LeBron. And I think it's not that Jamal Murray is not a good player. He is. It's that the way he was showing out was that he was going to be a bona fide top 15 all-NBA type player every night. And his biggest problem thus far, and now I think this is his fifth season in the NBA, is that he doesn't necessarily bring it every night. And you mentioned... He's had a couple rough games. He's had a couple great games. But if you're one of the greats, as he's kind of projecting to be and sort of eh, people are sort of like assuming him to be, you cannot go four for 14 with 12 points one night if you're the second best guy. You just can't. And if you do go four for 14, you need to do five other things on the court. And that's my worry is that what version of Jamal Murray are they going to get night to night? Cause they know at this point that Jokic is delivering that just full knockout blow, knockout punch type performance night after night. It's not coming from Murray. You know, you mentioned the defensive issues, Michael Porter jr's like, how is it? Mike, Mike Malone makes his bones on defense. Okay. How is he going to get this team to play good defense? They don't have any good defenders other than maybe Gary Harris who can't shoot to save his life. So how is this going to get better? That's my concern. Well, they didn't lose too many pieces on defense from last year. I mean, Jeremy, Jeremy Grant, Grant. Jeremy Grant was. Tory Craig, hit. Jeremy Grant, Miles Pl- Mason Plumley. I mean, that's not nothing. It's not nothing. You're right. Um, Jermichael Green, solid. He's coming he's in. Solid. But who's um, the backup center, right? Yeah, that's true. They did lose some big depth. But look, the Jamal Murray's. The things about Jamal Murray are a little overblown. Now he's averaging 
in the short six-game sample size we have because he missed one game. He's averaging a career high in field goal percentage, career high in three-point percentage, career high in points per game. Uh, he upped his scoring four points from last year. I think you're right. That he had a couple the micro- of games. Some of the microwave scoring we saw in the bubble, uh, I think, you know, with Mitchell, Murray, you're right, and I agree in that I don't think these guys are necessarily ready to be like 30-point-per-game guys uh, or be consistent enough to do that, on a, you know, for a full season. But, look, this team doesn't – this team had Jamal Murray as a 17-, 18-point inconsistent guy, and they're finishing as a top-two seed in the West the last couple of years. So it's not that they need him to take that leap for them to be a top-West team. They need him to take that leap in order to contend for a title. But, but I mean, in terms of the regular season, like, I, I think this Jekyll and Hyde performance that he still, uh, you know, gives, is it's going to be fine. I think their issues are going to be more around, like you said, defensively, some of that big depth. But I think the Jokic-Murray tandem is, is going to be good, and they've shown that they're still um, pretty good this year. Well, I think the problem comes is, is yes – he was the worst version of the player that he is today, and they still had a lot of success, right? But they also had a different team at that point. They had a different version of Gary Harris than they have today. They had a different version of Will Barton, who's battled some injuries. They had guys who could defend, like Torrey Craig and others. Like, Michael Porter Jr. is the same player, of course, he was last year to this year. That's not a roster change, so to speak, but his increased role is a change because he's now averaging 30 minutes a game and he's a very, very bad defender. And I love Michael Porter Jr., but going from 15 or 20 minutes a game to 30 with as negative as you are on one side of the court is a big change, even if he's the same guy that they had. And I think that that's the concern. Paul Millsap isn't the player he was two years ago, right? No. You have P.J. Dozier. Okay, he's okay. Jermichael Green, I actually like. I think net he almost nets out. Um, what's his name? Jeremy Grant. Um, but like you said, he still needs to get a little bit more acclimated, but front court depth. I mean, Isaiah Hartenstein. Okay. Like he's like, I'm doing, I don't know anything about him. He's white. I believe. I mean, there's a reason Jokic's stats are much better this season is because there's no one else really they're shallow. And that's a problem for them, especially like Jokic is not going to maintain these averages. Like he's not, I don't think he's going to end the season averaging like 26 a game. Right. He's also shooting coming. 61% from the yeah, field and it, 47% from three. So, I, yeah, I do think it's a serious problem. It's something that maybe they'll try to shore up in the, you know, in the middle of the season. But, but my point is, I don't tonight. know. Huh? They're, they're going to lose tonight. Okay, well, you know. And a team that we go. were going to talk about, Dallas, ended up winning a couple in a row, and now they're going to be 500. Yeah, so, all these teams are so like the ones hovering around five hundred. It's it's too early to tell. Yeah, we um, can't make any proclamations on anything, right? Like even even Brooklyn, they didn't have Kyrie or Kevin Durant tonight, and then they beat the seven and yeah. one Sixers. So I, I, who really who were playing all of their guys? So who really knows what's going on? It's going to be a weird season. I think um, I'm really curious to see what happens out east because. Uh, there's no clear. I think Philly looks the best. That let the record show. I picked them to make the finals like a couple weeks back, even. But um, I don't think anyone looks. Uh, Milwaukee's been looking pretty good, but once again, it's going to be a bloodbath at the top. I think. Yeah, one team before we go that I just need to speak about that will not oh, yeah. be involved in the bloodbath is the Washington Wizards. Um, 
I think I told everyone to either take a second mortgage out on their house or go buy a house first and then take the second mortgage out uh, to bet the over. And it's just, it's you don't just even know every, it's everything that we secretly feared. Um, Bradley Beal has turned into like Zach Levine 2.0. Um, nobody plays a fucking lick of defense on this team it is horrific to watch these guys try to guard anyone on the perimeter even execute a simple pick and roll switch russell westbrook is a maniac um he is everywhere and nowhere all at once um they're two and six like i said they had back-to-back losses to the magic and to the bulls all at home which is not a good thing um they start a stretch now where they play like five or six really good teams. This could be two and 12 before you know it. And I don't know what to do because Scott Brooks is, is such a train wreck at managing rotations, but we all knew that you could have fired him and picked Nate Bjorken in the off season, but you didn't. So now what are you going to get from firing him? You're just going to promote from within. It's going to be a lame duck interim coach. It's not going to do anything. This team's in trouble. I mean, The kind of dirty little secret, though, is Beal is somewhat part of the problem, too. He had 60 last night. They lost, which is how the hell could you blame Beal? And I'm not. But it's a two-way sport. And I've never seen the stars of the team less interested in playing one of the ways. And I don't know if that's coaching. I don't know if that's just the, the, the burden those guys carry offensively or what. But dark times in D.C., and you know what's the worst thing part about it? You're going to you're going to hate me for this, but last night when Beal was going for 60 against the Sixers, I was watching Rockets Pacers. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm not even surprised by that. I know. I know. This and they so... lost too. So I don't know what to do. And they're 2 and 4. Look, you you opened by talking about when we talked about the NFL, you talked about how you get attached to players and sometimes you lose interest in your teams. That's exactly what's happening right now. It's, you're, you're following Wall again, and you know he looks incredible. It, look, I was I want the record to show also that I was so high on Wall in this Westbrook Wall swap, and I still don't get like Westbrook is a lot of empty empty stats, and I love what you said. He's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. He's like um, I've been playing a lot of Call of Duty recently, and one of the things that I, I do in Call of Duty is I run around like a madman. And I'm going to get kills naturally just by running around because you're everywhere. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also going to be a complete detriment to my team because there's no plan yeah. in place and I am just costing them lives, right? So that's what I see Russell, Russell Westbrook. Like, it looks great. It's exciting, but it doesn't win games. And with a team that doesn't already have other defensive pieces in place, with a team that doesn't have a culture – that is going to, you know, mitigate all those flaws. Like he's not helping anything. And this team, like, I mean, you talk about Bradley Beal. I think it's, you can blame it on Beal. But look, there are guys like Devin Booker, right, who he scored 71 on that, and they lost on that crap. Suns crushed that game, yeah. He got rushed, and then defensively, he's also not been great, right? But but I don't think it's necessarily a, um, a Devin Booker issue. I think it's a culture. I think it's a team. I think it's a coaching. And I think... Scott Brooks has been there too long. And I at this point, I agree. I don't know what you do, but I think it starts there. Like, 
yes, you don't, you don't have talented defensive players, but I see, I see a team like the Knicks who they've got some talented defensive guys, but also they struggled defensively last year and they flipped it around this year. You look at the Wizards, they do the exact same thing they did last year. They're doing this year, except maybe they're scoring more points. Yeah. So, yeah. And like the Paul Westbrook thing, I, I relented and said they needed a fresh start and ultimately it was probably a net positive. And maybe it is, right? Because the Rockets aren't lighting the world on fire, even though he's playing well. That being said, what did I tell you? I said, why would you trade him now? Let him at least play once to just yep, rebuild. His, his value is zero. Why don't you look – like, for example, if they waited a month knowing what Wall looks like now, do you think they would have had to give up that first-round pick in a swap for oh, Westbrook? 100% no. So then yeah. it's just poor And the situation is so toxic where, you know, Westbrook's value is not going up at all. It's, yeah, and it's okay. not like teams were lining up to to trade for him either, especially with the way yeah. the Knicks started off, and then the Hornets signing uh, Gordon Hayward. Those were the other two destinations. So, you know, that's what's frustrating. But nonetheless, hey, we're I'm I'm gonna support you. I'm gonna support Tyrese Halliburton. He looks awesome. Penny Penny Light is what I'm gonna start calling him. Very light. That's Penny Hardaway, by the way. It's, it's like Penny Natty Light. <laughs> No, he's good. I'm happy for him. How's your boy Denny? How's Denny looking? I mean, he's not allowed to touch the ball, but he actually is a good player. Whenever they do let him in the warm-ups and stuff, he looks pretty good. How long until we get De'Aaron Fox trade rumors before the extension even kicks in? He's not going to get traded. This is the perfect pairing. Like De'Aaron and, and Halliburton is the perfect pairing. kind of have to hand off the keys to the kid. You know, I will say this, though. Last night against the Bulls was the – De'Aaron Fox left the game early because of a hamstring injury. And it was the first time we saw Halliburton actually play the role of the primary right. point guard. He didn't, he didn't yeah. play that in Iowa State. He was a secondary ball handler. And he looked phenomenal being the That's lead guy. That's his natural position. He could do it, but he's also good playing at the two and doing the same stuff. So I, I'm – I think In we'll today's NBA, you can never have too many ball handlers. So that's not the issue. The issue is, can Fox play off ball when Halliburton's controlling it? And Fox's shot has not really gotten it better enough for me to say he can confidently do yeah. it. But he yeah, he's still be a really good off-ball cutter. He just has to commit to it. Yeah, yeah. he's He's got some work to do there. But look, I'm not complaining about Halliburton. He looks incredible. He's like, dude, this guy's at the top of like all the advanced metrics across all the NBA players. Like, Forget about rookies. Like, He is at the top of so many metrics just – compared with all other guys. So exciting times in Sacramento, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens, man. Hopefully you guys can get another good pick, add to the core. Marvin Bagley can, uh, we can just sort of forget about him and uh, move on with the new, new Halliburton era. But yeah, Uh, it's early though. We'll see. It's been a fun NBA season. I think we're what, eight games in out of 72, like we're not even for 10% there, a little bit over 10%, like you said. Yeah, yeah. So there's so much more to happen. I think by next week we'll have totally different takes and we'll <laughs> skewer each other for what we said on today's podcast. But that's a wrap. This might be our longest pod uh, in thick and thin history. But there was a lot to cover. As hopefully you all enjoyed as we bounced around, talked about a lot of different things here. But please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin on all major podcast platforms. Please email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail We'll talk to you next week as we preview uh, Washington football team headed into Lambeau Field for a divisional round matchup. So we'll see about that. We'll see about that.
All right. Thanks for listening.